We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match and programming was the fuse as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Hi, this is Steve here. To start out this episode, Season 4, Episode 2, which is about the earliest Atari 2600 games and about how some of them were programmed, here's a story called The Dangers of the Vertical Blank. And it's about my experiences starting to look at programming and be Atari Basic for the Atari 2600. I hope you enjoy it. There are many reasons why some of my projects never get finished. For example, it was not a good idea. It was beyond my capabilities. Maybe the idea morphed into something else. Maybe I got distracted or lots of other stuff. However, sometimes projects are stopped because they are too attractive and too alluring. So much so that they become all consuming. I found this old code on my hard drive today. It was for an Atari 2600 game based on Atari's classic coin-op game, Breakout. I decided to talk about the process of making it and why I stopped making it. It's been about 18 months since I've worked on this game, Brick Basher 2600. I didn't even think about it until today. It's as if I blocked the entire episode out of my mind. I decided to start working on an Atari VCS game back in 2018 because honestly, it just felt like the right time to do it. It was the first season of Into the Vertical Blank, and I thought maybe an Into the Vertical Blank themed VCS game might be possible. I dreamed of being a programmer for Atari in my youth. Making a homebrew game for the VCS felt like the next best thing. So I downloaded Be Atari Basic from its home on GitHub and got started. The first thing I usually do when starting a new platform is to get something up on display, the classic Hello World. This usually involves finding a simple example and swapping out just enough code to customize some small bit, but also allow it to still run without errors. Again, this could be the classic Hello World or anything else really. It just needs to get me over the hump from mere observer to active participant. I did this with a VCS program called Steve2 which was just a simple recoding of the title screen demo that came with the Beatari basic package. I changed the name of the title screen to Tyler, imagining maybe creating a game about roofing tiles based on the story Claw Hammer from this podcast. 
I wrote a little bit of code for it, but soon realized I had no idea what the game would be about, so I stopped. However, the spark had been lit. The next step was to read the official documentation. For Biatari, those docs are on the Random Terrain website. When I first dove into Biatari, it became clear to me that this basic language is really an Atari VCS compatible game engine that exposes some of the primary features of the hardware without forcing developers to build their own kernel. The kernel in a program for the VCS is the low-level set of code that creates the line-by-line -line display required by the VCS's TIA chip television interface adapter. Since the VCS had no memory buffer for holding display information for an entire screen, a feature of nearly all game systems that followed it, each line of display has to be programmed individually in real time. The best Atari VCS programmers know how to wring every last bit of performance out of their custom kernels. The Atari Basic abstracts this from the programmer, providing a multi-purpose kernel that has been made as flexible as possible for certain kinds of games. I decided to stay within the guardrails of the Atari Basic to see what I could make. I was not trying to prove my technical ability. I was trying to be creative and get something accomplished. This is the main draw of languages like the Atari Basic, to allow people to flex their creative muscle while limiting their exposure to the technical underpinnings of the system itself. There are trade-offs, of course. The particular kernel, actually there are several kernels, employed by Biatari Basic might not be suitable for every game. In fact, I figured part of the job of a Biatari Basic programmer is to work within the constraints of a language that itself was built within the constraints of the VCS itself. While I did not want any limitations, at the same time I wanted to create something. But what could be created with the available resources and limitations? I was kind of stumped. I played a lot of VCS games in my day. I started 42 years ago and have pretty much never stopped. I felt it should be innate to me to know what is possible on VCS and what is not. Was I paying attention the whole time? Was I even capable of doing this? As I read through the Biatari basic documentation, a creeping realization came over me. While Biatari is an implementation of a kernel for the VCS, it still adheres closely to the features and limitations of the original Atari hardware. Patterns emerged that matched up with my many decades of experience playing games for the console, highlighting certain features and idiosyncrasies of the VCS that I had unconsciously cataloged since I first played it in 1978. Number 1. 128 bytes of RAM. I'd heard for years that the Atari 2600 only had 128 bytes of RAM, but that did not sink in until I started using the Atari Basic. 128 bytes basically means you can track 128 8-bit numbers, or as GCC hardware developer Steve Golson said in a recent interview, 1024 precious bits. Not everything in a game can be represented as true-false, as you might need to track screen, XY locations, scores, lives, etc., and many of those things require a full byte for numerical storage. Biatari Basic is even more restrictive. Of those 128 bytes, only 26 are available for your game because the rest are used by the game engine kernel. You must track everything dynamic in your game with those 26 bytes. Instantly, this removed a whole set of game ideas off the table. This is one of the first big trade-offs you make using Biatari Basic. However, what you gain to me, at least, is still worth the effort. By the way, this also made me realize the power of the 4K of RAM in the Atari 7800 and the 6K of RAM within the Starpath Supercharger. All of a sudden, I could see how a game like Dragon Stomper, the first console RPG, could only be made with the extra RAM in the Supercharger. My eyes were open. 
2. Sprites Sprites are the independent graphics that a game moves on the screen to create players, enemies, shots, etc. Some systems like the VCS and the Atari 800 have what is known as hardware sprites, which means they are built into the system and can be easily manipulated. Other systems, such as the Atari ST, employ what is known as soft sprites or software sprites, which must be defined and controlled completely by a programmer. The Nintendo Entertainment System has 64 sprites that can be defined and manipulated by a programmer. By contrast, the Atari VCS can display two sprites, two missiles, and one ball. That's it. The Atari Basics default kernel works under these limitations. The language also supports a multi-sprite kernel with six sprites and a DPC plus kernel that can handle 10, both with various other advantages and disadvantages over the default kernel. When displaying sprites in the VCS, there are many options built into the hardware. For example, sprites can be displayed double or quad-wide, can also be displayed as multiple copies of themselves. This got me thinking about combat and how biplane and jet game variants of the first game for the VCS allowed for multiple and bigger planes. When I read about the sprite options, a light bulb suddenly turned on. I was learning some basic aspects of how the VCS was actually used to create games. It was obvious that these sprite options were employed to make combat. Furthermore, the double wide option reminded me of the player's paddle in Breakout. When the game starts getting fast, the player's paddle shrinks in size. Could the programmer simply have employed a double-wide sprite at the beginning of the game, then switch to a single-wide paddle as the difficulty increased? Maybe. Reading the documentation for Atari Basic was like opening up a whole new world of understanding for me for the Atari VCS. I love discovering these little bits of information that opened up my conceptual knowledge of how the original VCS games were built. Thinking about it further, Video Olympics also uses the ability to create multiple copies of sprites. This would explain how certain versions of Pong on that cartridge allow for multiple rows of paddles controlled by the user. Again, I did not know if these were the methods employed by the original programmer, but it did not matter. I can imagine a way to solve the problem of Video Olympics, and it felt very liberating. Just to confirm my suspicions, I found the Stella Programming Guide from 1979 online. Famously, Stella was the code name for the VCS, also named after Joe Decur's bicycle. In the guide, I found a chart that described the features of Atari VCS sprite display, and they matched up with what was available in Atari Basic. In fact, even the names of some of the memory addresses used to set the sprite information, like New Size 0 and New Size 1, were exactly the same. My instincts were correct. I was seeing the exact same features as the first Atari VCS programmers. Colors. When reading about colors, I noticed something that made me think of the first time I played the Atari VCS. As I stated before, the TIA hardware in the VCS allows for two player sprites and two missiles, one for each player. However, the missiles must be the same color as the player. Reading this gave me a total recall of the first time I played Outlaw in the VCS and wondered why my shots were the same color as my cowboy. It was a very simple thing, but stood out to me even as an eight-year-old, as being unrealistic and forced me out of the fantasy of the game into the real world. Games like Outlaw were filled with these types of nuances that live directly in the vertical plank, not the real one, the virtual one we talk about in this podcast, and drive me nuts on a daily basis. However, right here, 40 years later, I now had an explanation. The shots had to be the same color, at least using the VCS default capabilities. More secrets of the VCS were unlocked before my eyes. To further this concept of colors, the VCS also has a single ball object, and it must be the same color as the playfield graphics. 
more on played field graphics later. This made sense to me too. I recalled that the ball in the Video Olympics cartridge was also the same color as the play field, and it sometimes got lost among the various obstacles as you were playing. Of course, this was based on hardware limitations. I'm sure there were ways to change this, but not every programmer wants to re-engineer an existing system to make a game. Some just want to create. Since Video Olympics is one of the first VCS games, the programmer, Joe Decour, most likely employed the default capabilities that were provided by the hardware, and this meant the ball was the same color as the playfield. To confirm these color limitations, I looked at the Stella Programmer's Guide again, and I found a table that showed exactly this. Colors for the players and missiles were indeed the same, as were those for the ball in the playfield. In cases like this, Atari Basic was a direct line into the VCS. This made me feel less like I was cheating using Atari, and more like I was simply using modern technology to make the chore of building VCS games much easier. Playfield. The Atari VCS includes a graphic feature called the Playfield. A quick check of the Stella Programmer's Guide showed me that not only is the Playfield a standard feature of VCS hardware, but much like the new size zero for sprites, B Atari Basic uses the same names for the memory addresses, PF0, PF1, PF2, as a low-level assembly language program would use to manipulate the Playfield. This was further confirmation to me that the features I was discovering were similar to the ones available to the original VCS programmers. The playfield is a coarse pixel display area that allows for the creation of mazes and obstacles that, for instance, the player will navigate or stop with missiles. The pixels are really just large blocks displayed at 32 by 11 or 32 by 12, depending on which Beatari Basic kernel you are using. The default Beatari Basic kernel allows you to place playfield graphics across the entire screen. However, Beatari's multi-sprite kernel has a mirrored playfield. This idea of a mirrored playfield is another Atari VCS nuisance that has stuck with me through the decades. The mazes in combat and even the rooms in adventure always struck me as unrealistic because they were completely symmetrical. These symmetrical playfields make up the background graphics of my Atari memories and are a huge part of what makes up the vertical blank in my head. These playfield graphics are intriguing because it seems like they could be manipulated in ways that might not have been originally intended. For instance, I always wondered how a game like VCS Surround was made. When I first saw the playfield graphics, a possible method became apparent to me. The players in Surround were the two player sprites, but their trails were probably playfield graphics. Furthermore, each individual line of the playfield can be a different color, and the heights can each be adjusted. As well, Beatari Basic includes a function for turning the playfield graphics on and off. On and off. Bingo! Turning playfield graphics on and off seemed like an interesting concept for making a game. After discovering these features and more, ideas for VCS games trickled into my brain. I now had a little bit of insight into how some of the original Atari VCS programmers could have looked at the features and limitations of the VCS hardware and began devising games based on both. In fact, nearly all of the original nine Atari VCS games released in 1977 used some or all of the features I discovered in the Atari Basic Manual. But what game could I make? The answer came quickly. The fact that playfield graphics could be turned on and off reminded me of one great game, Breakout. 
Atari VCS Breakout was my first love when it came to video games, and I felt like my entire life in technology started with that game. It was only natural I would try to recreate it. I started with using the play field in the regular kernel so I could plot across the entire screen. By limiting the height of the layers of bricks, rows of playfield graphics, and expanding the height of the lower lines, it seemed possible to create the rows of bricks required for what was becoming my own version of the classic game, renamed Brick Basher 2600. The biggest breakthrough, no pun intended, came when I figured out some simple code to check to see if the ball had hit one of the bricks. Since collision detection only exists among the player, missiles, and ball, but not of the playfield, defining when a brick is hit and needs to leave the screen would need to be accomplished with some custom code. Since all the bricks are uniform size, I figured I could write a simple bit of code to see if a ball was currently within the bounding box of a brick. If the brick, a playfield graphic, was on, it would simply turn off and bounce the ball at an angle, and my job was done. The code came fairly quickly. It was messy and filled with literals, but it worked. The experience was thrilling. My quest was to keep the game under 2K of ROM, because that was a limitation of the earliest Atari VCS programmers. Every time I came up with a coding solution to a problem, I'd refactor and refactor again until it was the most economical use of code I could devise. Sometimes features got lost, but as long as the game stayed pretty much like Breakout, I didn't care. I was finally building a game for actual Atari hardware. A lot more than the above items went into making the demo I finally made. Lots of iterations and trade-offs and refactoring went into just getting this far. And I admit the results are still kind of underwhelming. Nothing really works exactly right in my demo, but almost all the features are just on the cusp of being finished. However, I stopped here and for a good reason. The Atari VCS began consuming all of my downtime. I found myself thinking in terms of the VCS all day and night. One fateful day in early December 2018 while driving to pick up one of my kids, I recall my mind wandering into the game Canyon Bomber. I was trying to remember exactly how it was played, and more importantly, if a game could be recreated with a similar playfield block strategy as my Brick Basher game. I was so consumed with the sudden idea about the VCS that I forgot I was driving. I ran a red light and nearly got into an accident. This was my wake-up call. Sure, I always wanted to make a game for the VCS, but maybe this was not the right time. It was all consuming, but my all was not ready to be consumed. Finishing Brick Basher back then was simply not in the cards. That is where I stopped in December 2018. I moved away from Brick Basher, tried a few other concepts, and then quit Biatari completely, afraid to be seduced once more by the power of nuance, the power of nostalgia, and by the power of childhood dreams fulfilled that had taken me almost to the brink. I stopped until today, May 17, 2020, when I updated the game with one line of code so the ball would restart. This is the version of Brick Basher presented now on our website. There's no scoring or game end. Really, it's just an exercise in how to use sprites, the ball, the playfield, collision detection, and a little bit of math or angles for detecting hits in the playfield. You can get the demo there if you care about it. Building my first Atari VCS game demo was an amazing experience. It brought me joy I never thought possible, but also captivated me in an almost frightening way. Maybe I waited too long. Maybe I did not wait long enough. However, I'm pretty sure there will be a time in the near future when I will test the waters again, and if I'm careful, not get irrecoverably pulled under into its grasp. And thus is the danger of exploring the vertical plane.
into the vertical black. So today, Jeff, I thought that we would continue on. Last time we did some early Atari coin ops, and now we want to do some the first Atari VCS games, the Golden Nine, the original Nine, sure, the Game so, Fold Nine. So this is Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari Season Four, Episode Two, the Atari Twenty Six Hundred First Nine Launch Titles. That's right. First time lost title. So interesting. I, um, many years ago, I guess, I guess look at the date here, 2007. I can't believe this is 2007. You know, you wrote um, a lot of stuff. I wrote an ago. article for Gama Sutra in 2007. I mean, that's crazy. I can't believe it's 2007. I thought it was later than that. The history of Atari 1971 to 1977. Oh, you know what? It then It took me another year to write the second one. I think right. in like in like 2008, it came out like it, like 2008 or 2009. It took forever, and then Remember? I never finished the, the the last one. Remember in 2002 when um we would go to the library all the time at lunchtime from our job. Yes, and we would get microfilm to look at old uh, newspapers for Atari articles from like yes business sections, and we put together just this giant pile of Atari history. And that's where you did some, yes. got some of this from. So this is an article from, it's a history of Atari 1971 to 1977. I wrote back in 2007 for God. By Sutra. Steve Fulton. That's right. right. Um, and it, it's heavily linked to and also, um, also uh, there's several books that use it as source, which is kind of scary because a lot of it, I mean, I wrote it. So I, you know, I'm not lying. Right. That's know. okay. 1977. The video computer system. Okay. The most important project at Atari in 1977 was the interchangeable games console named Stella. The final version of Stella, now renamed by marketing as the Atari Video Computer System, VCS, contained the following. A 6507 processor, a derivative of the 6502 running at 1.2 megahertz. 128 bytes of RAM, or as... Steve Golson said, um, 1024 precious bits, 4K <laughs> bytes of ROM addressable on cartridges, TIA custom video and audio chip, a 6532 timer, two controller ports that could support eight-way joysticks with a fire button, potentiometer-based paddles, driving controllers, or keypads. The target was to support Pong and Tank-style games, and as we see, that's exactly what they did. For this, they included two 8-bit player objects and two ball object, sorry, two missile objects, one for each player, and a ball object. I, I changed that. I don't know why I said three 1-bit ball objects. Maybe that's because the missiles were actually like balls, but, yeah, um, but they relate to the players and not to the play field, like the ball list, plus a low-resolution play field supported in hardware. That's the play field graphics. With the millions of dollars Warner brothers poured into the company, Atari was able to, to attract some of the best engineering talent around to make games for the system. Atari put out an ad to hire programmers for their new machine. Larry Kaplan was on the first to get hired, along with Alan Miller, Larry Wagner, and Ed Riddle. This is Larry Kaplan said this. I saw their ad in the Mercury News and applied for the job. I was among a hundred applicants, and Bob Brown later told me they hired me because I had purchased an Altair 8800, the first home computer kit. 
So he had one. Okay, your turn, Jeff. All of the new programmers soon learned how difficult Stella was to program. Programmers had to learn the quirks of the VCS to get as much power out of it as possible. There were few objects to work with and very little memory, so everything had to be done on the fly. A typical game would use the vertical blank, the time between <laughs> ah, the vertical blank. Sorry. Yes. A typical game would use the vertical blank, the time between refreshes of the TV display to do collision detection and take input and compute game conditions and new graphic locations and use the horizontal blank to write everything to the screen. It was a complicated process that forced programmers to count the computation cycles of every instruction to make sure that they could fit in their code into these small intervals. Quote from Steve Mayer. Writing the kernels that make up the game programs is like solving acrostic puzzles with lots and lots of possibilities. There's a certain class of programmer that can deal in this microcode like that. If it were easier to program, we wouldn't have had these programmers because they'd be bored. The VCS is an absolute challenge. Again, that was Steve Mayer. This is Alan Miller. Alan thing. Miller. And Alan Miller said, in the early days, the extreme hardware constraints eliminated most obvious game designs. So game concepts had to be developed with those constraints expressly in mind. After I came up with a concept that I thought would be fun and could be implemented, I wrote it up and discussed it with others in the group, like David Crane, Bob Whitehead, and Larry Kaplan. Alan Miller. The 2600, as designed, was a hacker's machine. It was deceptively simple, but with enough open and explorable parts that more and more power would be squeezed out of it for almost 20 years. And, and, actually, and, and now, actually, now even more. it's actually almost 43 years. Alan Miller, most early VCS ROM cards were only two kilobytes. Programmers had to put tremendous effort into implementing a decent game in that small space. To program the VCS, developers had to unlearn the good programming practices to get their code to fit within the bizarre hardware. That's even that's very true today, too. Yeah. Where tricks were passed around by programmers, and new programmers would have to pick them up quickly if they were going to be successful. Joe DeCure developed the color cycling routine of the VCS to help stop burn-in. That was a complaint of the Pong systems, which also doubled as a feature in games. Flicker... Objects flashed on the screen was caused by a trick that let Atari programmers get more objects on the screen than were allowed. Atari showed the VCS at the summer CES in 1977 and prepared it for release in October. They knew that it had the best product on the market, but they did not know how to inform the public of that fact. During the manufacturing process, they ran into some problems that delayed the release of the unit. The VCS was very difficult to produce and test. The design required two types of screws that were difficult for assembly line workers to distinguish. Also, the cases were created as two plastic parts that would warp if not used quickly after being manufactured. The multiple integrated circuits and reliance on both cartridges and television made the testing the VCS units extremely difficult. Some suppliers' chips were not fast enough for the production of 2600s, but passed inspection because they worked fine in individual test units, but not when the machines were put together. All of these things led to shipping delays and disappointed retailers. By late November 1977, the Atari VCS shipped to retailers, including Sears, who marketed their own version named the Sears Telegame Video Arcade. And and we discussed that last year in our Sears episode. The system cost 
$199 and included the console, TV switch box, two joysticks, a set of paddle controllers, and the pack-in game Combat. Eight other games were released with the console, most of which were conversions of Atari's most popular coin-op games from years past. Didn't the um, the Sears one, I thought, included Target Fun and not Combat, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Target Fun, yeah. We probably should look that up. So Combat was programmed by Joe DeCur, by the way, who's writing his own book about Atari VCS. I can't wait for it to come out. Larry Wagner and Larry Kaplan. It was based on the tank and jet fighter coin-ops from the arcade. It was the perfect packing game for the VCS. It displayed incredibly addictive two-player action and contained one of the best two-player games ever designed, Tank Pong, which we're going to have to play. Yeah, of course. The first time, this is this is anonymous Atari, Atari fan. I think I think this was me, anonymous Atari fan, yeah. when I quoted because I wanted to have some quotes that I couldn't find any. Quote from anonymous Atari fan. The first time I saw combat on display in the local FedMart TV section, I was blown away. There were actual arcade games up on the TV screen. The fact that it says Fed FedMart makes me realize that, yes, indeed, that was my own quote. Okay, yeah. go on. Air Sea Battle. Air Sea Battle was programmed by Larry Kaplan. It was based on the destroyer and anti-aircraft coin-ops. From Larry Kaplan, Air Sea Battle was based on an Atari coin-op called Anti-Aircraft. In those days, we just ripped off anything we thought would work. <laughs> I like that. Besides engrossing two-player action, Air Sea Battle was packaged behind some of the best box art ever created for a video game. Art was painted by Cliff Spawn, who also painted the amazing art for Combat, Street Racer, and several later games. From Anonymous Atari Fan. I thought this is me again. Or maybe this was you. Maybe I asked you. Okay, anyway, sure. Ahead. Those... No, I have no idea. Those paintings <laughs> on the box detailed exactly how I felt about the no, game. this is me. This is me for yeah. sure. <laughs> the graphics were so minimal at the time, the boxes informed an important part of the game play experience. When I was playing Air Sea Battle, I was playing that painting, anonymous Atari fan. So I just want to point out that, yes, that was me, and that's so true. I was always playing in that painting no matter what was up on the screen. Okay, Video Olympics. Video Olympics was programmed by Joe DeCur. It included every imaginable variation of Pong. The idea was to make any and all dedicated Pong units obsolete with this cartridge, which I believe they absolutely did. Yeah. The game allowed one to four players and, and contained many variations. and was based on Atari coin ops like Pong, Pong Doubles, Goal 4, Quadra Pong, and Rebound. Yes. Um, Street Racer. Street Racer was programmed by Larry Kaplan. It contained 27 one to four player top down racing games with very basic graphics and sound. Its saving grace was the strangely addictive number cruncher where players race to catch the biggest numbers possible. So I was, obviously that's me again. That's my, yeah. my editorial in my own art, article. And, and of course I went on to I'm building a version of Number Cruncher for the Atari 700 too, so <laughs> Number Muncher, right? But anyway, yes. Same oh, Number know. Crusher. No, I'm sorry, it's called Number Crusher now. Yes. Okay, Surround, which we I think we even played Surround in the last episode, but Surround was programmed by Alan Miller in four months. It was based on the Domino's coin up with added variations, which we discovered last last uh, in the last episode. Yes. Um, this is Alan Miller. Surround was based on a gameplay concept implemented in several arcade games in the mid-70s, such as Atari, Atari's Dominoes and Gremlins Blockade and Meadows Bigfoot, Alan oh. Miller. Indy 500. Indy 500 was programmed by Ed Riddle. How come every every name 
that the Atari has for the program it sounds like someone from a Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> Ed Riddle is totally Ed a Harry Potter okay. name. Indy 500 was programmed by Ed Riddle. It was based on the Grand Track 10, Grand Track 20, Indy 4, Sprint, Le Mans, Crash and Score coin-ups. Indy 500 shipped with the racing controllers included in the box. This was by Arnie Katz and Bill Kunkel. A total of 14 game variations enliven this auto sports cartridge. It's priced somewhat higher than all the other early releases because it includes a pair of specially designed game controllers. I think that was, by the way, was pulled from Arcade Alley. I, I, I have to look. Arnie Katz and Bill Kugel, probably, because yeah. that was early, so early on that probably... Also released were Starship, programmed by Bob Whitehead, um, based on the Starship One coin-op, plus Blackjack by Bob Whitehead, and Basic Math by Gary Palmer. So that that rounds out the original card cartridges. So finishing up here... Um, uh, late shipments and consumer indifference led to soft sales in Christmas 77 for the VCS, which sucks. Um, but we, we knew that already. If you're an Atari fan, you know that it didn't sell well in Christmas 77. The VCS was the best-selling console that season, but that did not amount to much. By the end of 1977-1978 fiscal year in June, Atari had sold most of the 400,000 units manufactured and had sales of $120 million, but still lost money on the VCS. This is Alan Miller. People didn't know whether to spend 30 to $50 on numerous dedicated games that were still on the shelves or slapped down $180 for the VCS, a considerably larger expense. Yes, it was. The nine original games were thought to stretch the VCS to the limit. Just before the VCS is released, Nolan Bishnell quickly started to work on a follow-up machine. He wanted to create the next generation VCS that fixed all the limitations of the original unit. We spent most of the beginning of last season talking about this too. Yes, we did. Yeah, Joe DeCur. In the summer of 77, I went back to Grass Valley to work with Ron and Steve on the next generation machine. That became Colleen and Candy, the Atari 400 and 800. But right here in 77, you see that this is Atari's big, biggest mistake was not making the next machine to, to be released right in 1980. Nolan Bushnell was convinced that the hardware only had a two-year lifespan. Boy, was he right. And he wanted to make sure Atari was ready with a follow-up to the VCS as soon as possible. Nolan Bushnell was a smart man, by the way. He knew the video game business before there was one. However, with sluggish initial sales, the VCS had to prove itself in the marketplace first before any new consoles could be developed. And that was the end of my first Gama Sutra article. And I'm glad we're able to read through some of this stuff because it's I, I forgot about these things for years. You know, we go ahead and write all new content for this podcast, and I'm like, I already wrote a bunch of this stuff. Yeah, I wrote this stuff already. <laughs> right. It's a, yeah, exactly. All right. So here we are with combat. Do you want to play tank? We want to play tank pong. Right? Let's play. Yeah. Let's let's play whatever we think is the most interesting game. We don't need to play tank all of the pong games with a with a complicated maze like this one. Sure. And any shots a kill shot, which means like you can shoot yourself. Okay. Sounds okay. Ready. Good. Yeah. All right. Hey, I am blue. <laughs> They're all the shots are almost invisible. Well, I remember this game. It's crazy. Is it? I'm glad it shot me all the way over there. I want to shoot more than I can. I keep on pressing the, the uh, button. You went right through the side of the screen, too. Yeah, I like that part. 
Oh no. That was a good shot, I'm telling you. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. <laughs> That's what you get for, for loving your shot. For Look, patting yourself I on the remember back. doing exactly this. We, we were so loud at Target that our Fenway, they would come by and take the machine away from us. Oh, yeah. They didn't want us there. It was like, don't touch our equivalent of like $500 machine. Um, oh, yeah. It's not a toy! It's like, yeah, know, the is. explosion sound is actually pretty good in this. Yeah. And the, actually, the tank driving sound is good, too. Don't play with that. It's not a toy. I, I, um... So notice that this this game uses playfield graphics. Yeah. The two sprites, um, the two uh, missiles, which are the same color as the as the as the sprites and the, as score, the players. The scoring at the top is not something you can do. The scoring is using the score at the top of these games is using one of the two sprites in it on the vertical blank also on the vertical blank yeah, yeah it's not yeah, like yeah. you could have multiple like so you could have any text on the screen they actually no. decided to build the atari 800 so that they could have text on the screen or what would become the atari 400 800 and 5200 so and xegs exactly so that tank pong that's my favorite one it's jets. okay so go it's back jets. to jets two versus two because i find this fascinating yeah um two versus two and also clouds are fine. because this is this is using another feature of the vc original the vcs hardware that allows you to copy sprites and also a feature that that um sprites priority could go under the background oh yes under the place so the, so, so the, the clouds yeah, are so playfield so graphics you yes you can select that sprites go behind the playfield and in this case is to make clouds um I remember people tell me like, oh, combat is not even worth a cartridge printed on it. I'm like, no, that's not true. Game. This is the Wii Sports of its time. I remember playing this at Target. Oh, yeah. I think we played, we didn't play the combat much when we got our Atari VCS because we played, played it so much at Target. We yeah. <laughs> played everything at Target. <laughs> All right, here we go for air sea battle now. Sounds good. I'm gonna create a match. Okay, that's why. Uh, let's try this one, anti-aircraft. Now, Ready? are we, what are we, oh, we're just shooting stuff up the screen? Yeah. Okay. Oh, we used to, it's like target, this is why they called it target fun on the, on the. Um, I swear this is the one, thing. well, I'll look, but this is the game, um, this is the one I think came with the, um, the Sears. This, this is the what, Sears one, yeah. You have to shoot something of your color, or no? It doesn't, no, doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. That would have been that would have been a little sophisticated. That's too much. Yeah. Oh God! Nice shot. The thing is, though, I don't think I played this game in in you know 40, 45 years, and I still remember the timing. Yes. Oh, I remember always being off on the timing, and just like I currently am showing. Ah, yeah. So this is one where they use the vertical blank to add, you know, on the on the horizontal blank to add more sprites that would go along. So yeah. notice that and, there's and only one there's and only a, one enemy per line, and that's that's so that's because they they copy them down the line, and there's no and a rainbow background too. Yeah, I think that's the playfield. Yeah, let's go to um, video, uh, video Olympics, key three. You want to play hockey three? Sure, why not? Or, or I want to play handball, actually. Let's try let's handball. Play, let's play hockey three. We'll try a couple because we've never played them. Hockey three. Oh, my God. I like this. is not easy at all with right and left. Let's play volleyball. Volleyball. Yes. Start. 
Okay. So you have you when you oh my god. Okay, you guys you can go sideways with it. Oh, you go up and down like see, okay. So this is a really oh, press really, the button. Yeah, it's a really unique game. <laughs> it is okay, go ahead. It is. Oh man. After you after you've served, you can go high in the air. It's a weird like this is actually the closest to an actual sport that you yeah, can think it's of. Well, to an yes. Sport. I mean, it's <laughs> not you. that close, but you can actually go up high. Like, they, like whoever did this... Anyway. I'm just going to do this. Okay. Do that. <laughs> I'm kind of scared to move because I'm going to drop the ball. Yeah, exactly. Well, all oh, there you, you go. Do is that. Oh! Darn it. Oh. <laughs> okay. Nice job. Get one over here. Uh, if I can do it. Oh, oh. no. I'm not even trying to cheap you out. It just cheaps oh, out. Okay, okay, so that's the most fun game on Street Racer. Okay. And this is what we're going to do. We are going to play Number Cruncher because it's the best one. Okay. Sounds good. Start. Okay, so oh, is, it, is it the mouse? Uh, yeah, it's the mouse. What, what, what am I You're trying green. to do? You're green. You're green. And, what and am if I you press the button, he's trying to pick up the numbers and not run into them. And if if um, you press the button to speed up, so numbers come down faster. Wait, wait, wait which button? Mouse button? Oh, wait. Mouse what do you button. mean not crash? Not run into the side of the numbers. Numbers have to hit you straight on. Oh, okay. I got it. It's hard to tell. In that little tab on the top. Uh, they're gonna hit you a nipple. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Okay, I see it. We're kicking my butt. It's also not. The, the... I don't know why I just thought this was the worst game ever. I'm not because a mouse is not as good as a paddle. That's the. No, but it works. It works. Um, I don't know why I thought this was the greatest game ever when we were kids. I don't know. Just something about eating the num numbers. Oh my God! You almost caught up to me. Almost. You beat me. Well, I did. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's try. Let's try another one. Hold on. We'll... And now it'll let me do jet shooter. Ready? So what are you doing, Jesse? Oh, you shoot oh. jets. Oh, oh, wow. How come your same thing is so... same? Just like number cruncher, except you shoot the you, guys. You fire the front nipple on your on your car. Yeah. On your jet. Wow. Oh. Wow. You don't fire very Man, fast. This is dude. hard. This is hard. Figure that you just kind of fire really. I fire think one so. Up so on this, this one. What do you think they've done here? Because they've got two players and two missiles, but they've actually got we've got four players on the screen. They've probably with the, with the screen being split, they probably split it, split it at the horizontal yeah. um, refresh. Probably. And and redrew them on that. Like redrew at, them on the screen. at the horizontal, like what whichever color yeah. clock gets on, where it can split it, it splits it. Yeah, so, I'm, uh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a point. Nope. Ah, oh, I got one. And then your shot just goes so slow. Yeah, well, if they, you that, shoot, that was to make it if, hard, I think. If you shoot at the wrong time, like you just. But if you shoot at the right time, you can hit the thing twice, the plane twice, like I have. Oh. Okay. One interesting thing to note about all these early cartridges is the number of variations with two-player games really meant something. 
because there are a yeah. lot of different versions of the same thing. It's not just adding moving shots and stuff like that, which is kind of, but there are different, the games are different. But they're, they're, it's, it's the same concept, but the games are different. It's kind of interesting. Come on. I think I'm green. I am yeah. blue, you're green. Yeah. So this, if this was like... Kind of like Domino's. Domino's, the all, your, all everything would turn back. Obviously, this uses playfield graphics and the and like the two sprites. But this is this is drawing the playfield graphics dynamically, which yeah. I don't know how easy that is to do. But someone figured out. Oh, it, it is. Out. You just turn. You just turn them on and off. Each playfield graphic has a position you can turn on and off. Oh. At least in B Atari does, and it's very that's very it works. Those features work very similar to how the actual um, Atari works. Now we will do Starship because it was also one of the first games. Okay, is that, you can't do that as now, two I'm player. I'm not right? sure what you can do multiplayer in this. I mean, I, I may just space be able to, I may just be able to watch you play at this point. Um, oh, you can well, do we can play. I think we we like take turns or something. Okay. Yeah. So I think what we play is Starship One, like a for lack of a better term, a shitty Star Raiders. But I mean, it's 1977. Star Raiders doesn't exist yet. Oh, I see. Wait, now who's who's? Oh, I'm firing. Guess I guess I'm. First. Oh, you are. Oh, you were playing first. I guess. Yeah, you're playing I, first. Okay. So. You try to get that those guys in your, and watch those other those shots are going to get you. Oh, I got to get out of the way of those shots. Okay. You know what? I had no idea this no, wait, existed. Was that? I mean, I've never played this before. I don't think I can fire at the. You don't want to fire at the shots, right? They are doing something to make it look up the make it kind of look like it's a it's sort of three D. I mean, yeah, three D. Like you've got you've got stars coming at you. You know, I. I'm wondering. Wait, what? Are, wait, are we both playing? We playing against each other? I don't know. What are you this? doing? Are you moving? Are you moving I, the, I yeah, think I've got the blue ship. Yeah, I'm controlling the blue ship. Ooh, that's kind of cool. All these games had had multiplayer options. You know. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I don't know. Okay. Now you got to fire at me. I don't know. How, am I shooting? Oh, so am I shooting at you with the big shots? I think maybe you are. I'm trying to stay out of your, your way. I'm not sure, but it's kind of interesting. I like the way they, they made it so you could have two players in all these games. Yeah. It is cool. I have no idea what's going on, but it... I, I take it back. I used to say Starship was the worst Atari Vistas game ever made. It's actually not. Especially not when you have two people. Because, no. nah, this is kind of cool, actually. I take it all back, Mr. Starship. Well, the worst Atari Vistas game still is It's Airlock. just abstract, I think. Airlock and Wolflock are still the two worst Atari 2600 games. <laughs> okay. All right. So that was Starship. Then you can play Lunar Lander. Really? And then you can in play there? Starship. Let's try Lunar Lander, although I'm... I didn't know Lunar Lander was in there. I guess so. It's a different it's a, it's a different weird Lunar Lander. Okay, I am the red thing. So I'm controlling the asteroid, and you're controlling the ship. Oh, and I can fire, right. I can fire like a little... And so oh. I'm controlling the asteroid. Okay, so... Yeah, a little no, rocket. There's no inertia. And you're trying to land on me. Yeah. Am I, wait, am I, am I trying to break you? Probably. And am I trying to knock, like, destroy you? I don't know. 
Oh, you land on me or something? I, I, I got a point for, for landing on you. You you landed on me. You got a point. I got hit by whatever that is over there. Yeah, am I supposed to like? I don't know what's happening. Okay, this game is weird. It's super abstract. It's super abstract. Like when people think of the Atari Twenty Six Hundred abstract game, this is super abstract. This game is almost art. It is almost art. It is actually full-on art. Like it is a, it is modern right. art. With abstract, with enough art. of that, but it's, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm really taking a new look at that one because it's fascinating. It is okay, abstract. Now we're gonna try race, which is Indy Five Hundred, but obviously they couldn't call it that. Yeah, someone because, owns that. And that was the name of the Sears cartridge, so that, that's fine. Oh, Devil's Hollow. Let's do that one. Okay, ready. It works pretty well with the with the with the um, yeah. It's better than the race race. I'm green, I think. Okay, it's just you know, I think you're orange. Oh, that's why I'm over here. Yeah, so you're right. I thought I was green. Driving controllers are are better for this. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. get a lap though. I keep thinking I'm getting the hang of it, and then I it doesn't happen. Here's a hint: take your take your finger off the gas some of the times, and it yeah, you go around turns, and it, it actually helps a lot. I remember doing about this well in the arcade with the with the with the steering wheel too. Yeah, this is like I'm still not sure why the paddles couldn't be used. So the driving control that must be a reason because steering wheels don't go all the way around. I think because people, but people would hit that edge maybe. Then you have to turn the other way. Then you gotta go, and it doesn't weird. It doesn't work if you're. Oh, I see. Yeah, especially if you're upside down. I need one of those Mario like fireballs to fire you to stop you. A Yoshi ball or whatever. These are fun games to play multiplayer over the internet, though. I mean, yeah. All right. You whooped my butt, but that was neat. I like All right. That. So now something more low key. We're gonna play a game of blackjack. Uh, let's just start. Okay. Okay. okay so. I, I'm setting. I'm setting my bid up and down, maybe. All right, twenty-five. So I'm gonna press my button. Oh wait, 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 wait. Put wait, in I, your bid. I, I'll, just, I'll just bid. Press your button. You got a seven. I got a two. Stay or hit. You've got eighteen. I know. I, I'm staying. Um, I'm gonna get. I need to hit. Double? Does that mean double down? That means hit? Double down, so that means you want to... Uh, no. Yeah, it does. Oh, okay. All right, we won. Cards are... Actually, the cards are kind of cool on this. I, I I never... I don't think I've ever, ever played this. No, I've never... I, I've played the cards a couple times, but I've never actually played it. Come on. Yeah, 19. Day. I need another... Oh, I need another hit. I don't have a... I don't have a problem with this game at all. This is fun. I busted. No, oh, this is fun actually, and I like the little text and stuff. You know, yeah. if you wanted to, if you let's, if you had first got this and you wanted to play blackjack, you know, and didn't want to have to like get out the cards or anything, this is actually really good. Well, who, who made this? I don't. Who made for, blackjack. I'm gonna say for 1977, they did a good job. You and I like dice and card card games and yeah, video games, yeah, yeah. so it's I, it's it's not that it's not that big. Of course, we because we, we played like a lot it. of dice and so card games. Bob Bob Whitehead, you know, one of the one he of the did bri he did bridge too. Yeah, so he's he's you know Bob. I'm guessing Bob, actually, I I forgot. Bridge. Nice job, 
Bob Whitehead. Bob Whitehead. Awesome. I'm looking for he an was Activision. one of the original Activision guys too. I was looking for an Activision Classics on Steam anywhere, and I'm not find one, which is weird because I'd love yeah. for us to play some of those Activision games. Oh yeah, Basic Man. Oh, I said Blackjack Program by Gary Palmer, but that's wrong. Oh, it's not. And Basic Math must be. Let me check it out. What? Who? Who? Who programmed ba- Basic Math? I guess I got that wrong in that article. Math. Basic Math is the one that I when I yeah it says Gary Palmer did ba- Basic Math here. So. Which is also became fun with numbers, I guess, at one point. Uh, math, which is, which math. is the most exciting game to watch on video ever. Yeah, but we're doing all the games, Jeff. So we're going to do it. Multiplayer. This is the game that I tried to get someone to play multiplayer against like four years ago online. And how come basic math didn't so go here? The reason... Oh. oh, see, they took it off the list. You, oh, can't, you can't play, play basic math why you, you, Why don't you just share your screen and do basic math? No. Okay. Start division. Two divided by one. Two divided by one. Right. Okay. I don't know how you choose to take, but you're answering. I don't know. This is weird. Two divided by two equals. I think you need to just. Do you, you need to push up and down to? Oh. Yeah. Okay. This is one. Press the space bar. Okay. Let me say this. Um, Three divided by two. Yeah. Okay. That's. One point five. Yeah, but how's I mean, that going to work? What's that going to happen? Yeah, no, okay. they didn't like that. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show, I play a great old game. Then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. What I do want to share is something that happened today. What happened today? David Crane. So this is Dan Kitchen's uh, website right here. You can see Dan had this message today that said, Good news, everyone. Today is the official announcement of Audacity Games, a new video game publisher founded by David Crane, Gary Kitchen, and Dan Kitchen. Yay! Yay. At, Audacity, at Audacity, we'll specialize in designing retro-style package games for, for a variety of retro systems, including the Atari Video Computer System. Please check out the official press release here and check back for more exciting announcements. Okay, so official press release says this really interesting thing. Okay. Okay. So today, uh, former Activision co-founder David Crane and ex-Activision designer d- designers Gary K- Dan Kitchen announced they will have a partnered to form Audacity Games, Inc., a video game publisher focused on designing and publishing boxed game products for a variety of retro game systems, starting with the Atari 2600. With the popularity of retro video games, we saw an opportunity to create new titles for these still popular systems, Audacity Games co-founder Gary Kitchen said, and it gives us all a chance to design games again for the platforms that helped launch our careers. I wonder why Alan Miller is not involved. Anyway. Well, you know what? These the, um, these the same guys. Uh, was anyone else involved with Skyworks? Yeah, I thought Alan Miller was. Oh, okay. okay but I know Gary was, and I, well, I, know, I didn't. I, yeah, I'm I sure David. Dan was too, and I know David Crane was. Yeah, um, yeah we, we hired those guys multiple times at Mattel to do yeah. stuff for us on purpose because we wanted to work with... Got David Crane to sign um, um, uh, my Atari card. My, my, uh, I still have the signed Pitfall card. That oh, that's cool. Card. From when they came in, the next yeah, one so, does that now. But I yeah, mean, so so Skyworks was a like a was, was like a like a flat. They made flash games and they made uh, director shock, games, shockwave games, shockwave yeah. director games um, in the two thousands. And we saw early, them early, early 2000s. We, 
we hired them to do a couple games for us at Mattel. Um, they were really good. Um, oh, anyway, God, of course they were. They were. And, uh, and, and David Crane, I think at the time, was actually still programming games. Anyway, it was really it was fun to be able to, uh, to work with them a little bit. Co-founder David Crane said, for years our fans have been asking us to create new games. We heard you and we've decided to do just that. I've always said that I have, I've, have as much fun making games as others do playing them and the retro game systems are my favorites so every game produced by audacity now you moved um yes this is this is okay every game manufactured to order and each copy is customized with a unique serial number every game yeah. connects to the internet through your connected mobile device for registering high scores gives the player a chance to earn a physical high score patch like all those from the golden era 2600 games and comes in full color box, color label, printed manual to add your game collection. You know what this is, Jeff? This is Pro Brew. This is for real. Pro Brew for real. Like we Pro Brew for real. Gary, we I mean, we interviewed Gary Dan, last Dan. year. Oh, Dan. I'm sorry, Dan. And Dan went on a bunch of interviews last year for his new game. That's a sequel. Keystone Capers. Keystone, right? Sorry. So it's a sequel to Keystone Capers, and he went on a bunch of different podcasts, a bunch of interviews, and then he wanted to wait. Um, to put his game out, and and I guess these guys came along and said that's a good idea. Let's all work together in game. So yeah, really I cool. love this thing about about every game connects to the internet through your mobile device. I wonder if that's like an NFC tag they stuck in the cartridge that you 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 know once you get it saves the high score to the cartridge and then um, you scan it with your phone and to, to register the high score, which would be fair, pretty straightforward to do. Well, oh, um, oh, cause it could, it puts a little bit of data into another. Yeah. Register. It could save a little data on the NFC tag and then you can read it directly through your cell phone. You'll have to ask um, them. Or they have that. a, a, like a Bluetooth little Bluetooth energy radio, but that's expensive. So I, think I would think an NFC, NFC tag, tag is straightforward. going to be cheap enough to do it. I, and these guys, yeah. were, these guys were the, the Kings of figuring out how to do that stuff at the time. Yeah, no, that, I think that's, I think that's, a, that's such a cool, cool idea so after jeff and i recorded this about a week later the announcement did come out of the first game for audacity games called circus convoy and jeff and i took some time to create a reaction video on youtube and here's the audio of that with our genuine reactions to what we saw i hope you enjoy it Something. I'm really excited about something too, Jeff. It's about this thing I'm just about to share with you. This is a brand new Atari 2600 game made by David Crane and Gary Kitchen. So original Activision dudes. Well, Crane's original Activision, but Kitchen Brothers are Activision a little bit later on. Oh yeah, Dan Kitchen is is with this new Audacity Games too, and this game is called Circus Convoy, um, and it is it is pretty. If I say myself, amazing. All right, let's amazing. All right, let's take a look. Ready? Like a two different boxes. One is um, the super like collector the, edition. Yeah, one's regular, one's a collector edition. I might have to buy both of them. That's funny. Clowns. Okay. The graphics are so Activision. It's amazing. It's they're very Activision. And they're, I mean, it's, it's oh my god, clowns! I know. Um, I heard they're they're doing um, 32 4K banks, so 128K. Oh, 128. Look at that amp. In there, man. This is awesome. It's incredible. 
Watch out for your head! I know, this is great. Watch this. It's it's Pitfall. It's Pitfall, pitfall and gators. it's a combination of Pitfall and... um. Look at that and, giraffe! Uh, uh, this is awesome. It's, yeah, a, it's, <laughs> it's Pitfall and Keystone Capers and, and um, Pitfall 2. And a bunch of other games rolled in one. Oh my god, look at the snake! <laughs> <laughs> it looks... What do you think? Should we watch well, it again? They, yeah, let's watch it again. Let's In watch fact, it again. they had mentioned that they were gonna like this uses all technology that was available then, but it means they're probably using David Crane Plus. Oh, it's got to be Plus, probably. But, but, but no, twenty-eight K. No flicker anywhere. Yeah, look at the clowns. Beautiful clown. I know, and the animation. Oh my lord. I'm going to be first in line to buy one of these. I'm going to be, what is it, Saturday? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I think it's Friday. Is it Friday? Friday. Friday. Well, I don't know what day it is. Watch out for the big ass snake. And then you got the skulls and the bombs. And I just oh. love that. I just love when the pit, oh. pit, when the pitfall alligators show up. Yes. <laughs> oh, wait. Shooting gallery. Yeah, it's like. The giraffe. The giraffe. <laughs> Incredible! Oh my God! This is what they would have been making if they if, if they had been able to make. make oh yeah, the BCS two or whatever. Right? Look at that! Oh snake. my God! The snake! <laughs> it's gonna be a good spring. What do you think? I think it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see Dan Kitchen's game too. We'll, we'll when when they put out an official um, trailer, we'll watch that too. Oh god, that was great. Cool. Okay. okay. Well, we got to get ready to buy it. Yeah, I'm gonna go get myself into the vertical blank to buy this game, Steve. Yeah, me too. Hey, I mean, this is what the vertical blank is about, right? And this is this I'm gonna is get myself a new Retron 77 to play this game on. If it works. Yeah, I mean, this is what we've been waiting years for. So this is going to be amazing. These guys making new games. And Champ Games makes awesome games. Don't get me wrong. But Activision making games. Well, it's not Activision. But, like, Activision basically making you a 2600 games. I mean, for for a, a, a prices that are less that are, that are 60 bucks, but it's still less than it was comparatively back then. Yeah, no, if you, with inflation. So. With inflation, yeah. I can't wait. Cool. All right. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll 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 be first in line to get these when they. Come I am. Out. I'm. I'm hitting the buy button like this on Friday morning, <laughs> tw- two p.m. Right? Two p.m. I think time? so. Okay. All right. I will check it out. Okay. This All right. F- awesome, Steve. I, I know it's going to be amazing. All right. Into the vertical blank. Into the vertical f- blank. Anyway, um, so that's the beginning of our Atari 2600 for um, Season 4. We'll be doing a lot more, I believe. We should get some interviews. Steve Golson wanted to do another one. Dan Kitchen wanted to do another one. Um, and maybe even Howard Scott Warshaw. So so hopefully we can get some more 2600 developers and get some interviews going and talk more about the 2600. That kind of concludes this 2600 episode, but I think we have a little surprise for the end, right, Jeff? We do, we do. Um, we are going to play right now um, some thoughts about from Tony Longworth about his first introduction to the Atari VCS. And after that, we have a new Tony Longworth song to play. And until next time, Steve, into the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. 
Hi, this is Tony Longworth, music composer, fan of Into the Vertical Blank podcast, and complete and utter Atari geek. So the first time I actually experienced the Atari VCS, or the Atari 2600, whatever you want to call it, was in a supermarket here in the UK, in the northwest of England, in a town called Ellesmere Port. And it was a supermarket called Asda, which was later bought by Walmart, but I think someone else has bought it now. Anyway, that information is not important. So in this big supermarket, there was a TV sort of section. There's all electronics and, you know, hi-fis are in there and all that. And one day went shopping there with my parents. And, you know, if so, sometimes a friend would come with me. And I think at the time, my friend Stu was with me. And we wandered off, and this this is the late 70s. Um, I'm trying to think how old. Would I have been nine? I don't know. This is just all a guess, but I know it was the late 70s. And we kind of wandered off to go and have a look, you know, round at the toys, round at the TVs, and, you know, kids like all that type of stuff. And suddenly there was this big stand with an Atari VCS on with loads of people around it with a game playing on the TV. I can't even remember the game, but I just remember thinking, I so want that. And we, we couldn't get close to it. I mean, at the time, the first time we saw it, we couldn't get close to it because other people were just hogging it and just playing whatever it was, but we were just blown away. The only thing we'd kind of seen beforehand was the basic bat and ball TV games, you know? So we, we kind of knew and we'd played them. And I, I, I'm sure I had one. And then, we, we were just blown away. Now, the sad part of this story is I never, at the time, got my own Atari VCS. I mean, in later years, I ended up getting the original sort of wood veneer one and the slightly redesigned one, and I've got a big collection of Atari everything right now because I love Atari, but at the time, didn't get a VCS. The first thing I actually did get of Atari was actually a couple of years later, it was the Atari 400, which was awesome. But luckily for me, two of my friends, Stu, who I've mentioned before, and Wayne, both ended up with Atari VCSs. Now, Wayne, actually, I think he got his first, and he had three older brothers who tended to hog the VCS. So, you know, some days I'd go round and hang out with Wayne, and we couldn't get on the VCS because his brothers would be just playing it, and they just wouldn't let us in the bedroom, and we couldn't... But, you know, when his brothers went out and when they were doing other stuff, we managed to get on the VCS and we spent a lot of time rocking that VCS and the first game we kind of played and we played it to death was Combat. Combat, it was an awesome game. I mean, I guess it still is a a great game. I haven't played it for so long, but we just played the tanks by playing Jet Fighters so, so good. We just loved that game and it it was so funny because Wayne had a real temper and if I beat him two, three times on the trot, he'd just completely lose it. And the amount of times he hurled the actual joystick. I mean, luckily they were sturdy, those joysticks, but he just threw this joystick across the room. I mean, it was wired. It didn't go that far because it was like hooked into the VCS. But it was, I had to calm him down, you know, before we actually played something else. I, I also remember, you know, I, I was around at his house a lot of the time, he came to my house a lot of the time, but I was around at his house so much because I just wanted to play the VCS. And I remember him saying, are you just using me to play the VCS? Which wasn't completely true. Might have been semi-true. 
But my other friend, Stu, he also got a VCS as well. So to avoid Wayne's tantrums, I'd be around at Stu's a lot of the time as well. And, and, and Stu had sort of asteroid space invaders and stuff like that. So we kind of rocked those uh, as well. But really the first game that I really did play on the VCS was Combat. Such, such a cool game. I'm sure there was, um, there was a weird, there was a weird glitch or bug in the game. I only vaguely remember it now, but it was something to do with, was it that if you, that both players crashed the tanks into each other in a certain way, it'd flip one of the tanks to the other side of the screen or off the screen. It was, it was some weird, weird, weird thing, but happy days, happy Atari days.
Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.